Happy Sabbath. Welcome once again to our time together, this time when we get to open Scripture and delve into God's Word in order to extract some concepts that hopefully are life-altering, if not transformational. I am here, well accompanied once again by two of my colleagues and friends, two outside-of-the-box thinkers as we try and attempt to do theology. Now, I know that last week we, a we asked you to help us crowdsource an answer to a question. We've gotten some answers, uh, but we still want to leave another week for you guys to think and ponder about Job's birthday. Now, we also wanted to share a, a letter that came in just this week from a viewer all the way in Olympia, Washington. Susie, we are thankful for your insight. Actually, you were able to give some language to something I think that we've all talked about behind camera. As far as our, if not nervousness, then at least our hesitancy to fully endorse the idea of pain as something that is always helpful. This theology of pain equals gain. So thank you for your message. I want to highlight a, play, a passage that really, really stuck with me. And so I want to share this with an audience because I think it helps you all see what thoughtful viewers we have. So Susie writes, Possibly the quarter's lessons will address long-term trials later. But so far, as the study and talk has left me feeling not as loved or as valuable to God as all those crucible moment, moment people. For I have been going through a crucible for a long time now. Susie, that I think is our problem with this idea of pain equals gain. That yes, in the short term, there are some instances of test and trial that go by the wayside and we do learn some things for it for the most part many of us live in long seasons of pain and discomfort and to ask ourselves or to put on on ourselves the weight and the responsibility of having to learn something and then equating that learning with the end of a season i don't think is as helpful and so we're going to talk a little bit about that this, uh, for this conversation as we delve into the lesson, which talks about seeing the goldsmith's face. Before we do that, I'd, I'd like to invite you all to pray. God, thank you for moments of joy. Thank you for moments that provide an opportunity for learning. And we ask that your spirit continue to mold us into who you would have us be. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your care. Thank you for your relentless love. Thank you because as we sometimes flee from you, we are encountered with grace that rushes in. So we pray these things in your name. Amen. 
So as we said before, I have uh, the blessing of having my regular co-host back from his time away. Joey, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Miguel. This is a busy Sabbath for you. Yeah, but it's always fun to get back into it, into the flow of ministry here at church. It's a pleasure. Well, it's good. It's good to have you in the midst of preaching all over our community today to have your thoughts on, on this issue. So thank you again for being here. And another one of my colleagues, and you all know him now, uh, Pastor Jesse, who is the discipleship pastor and the community pastor for our anthem service. Jesse, how are you today? Doing great. Fantastic. Well, friends, let's, let's get into this. And I think I wanna start simply by asking the question that the lesson seems to prod us to, and that is the idea that somehow fire refines us, and that's, that's always a good thing. It's a theology, I think, that one of, one of our luminaries here at Loma Linda University, Professor Rick Rice, defines as pain is gain theology. <laughs> Yeah, what do we do with that? Is 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 that a healthy theological space for us to be in? Is there a place for trial and tribulation in our Christian life? If so, what is the place? How do we handle difficulties, particularly as Susie is pointing out, I think so powerfully, long-term difficulties? Hmm. I do think that there, that imagery, we have to be honest and say that imagery is present within scripture, right? This imagery of being refined by fire. Mm -hmm that humans do go through trials and tribulations and those can be opportunities for growth and healing and improvement and all of those things. But um, it doesn't seem to advocate for us to seek out trials and mm. tribulations for ourselves in order to be refined. Like the trials and tribulations don't seem to be the goal themselves, mm -hmm. right? That the goal is that we fall into the footsteps of Jesus, right? Discipleship is nothing except for um, the image of God being re remade within us. I, I, I appreciated that about the lesson, how it began with the fact that we were all created in the image of God and that, that image was marred by sin. And the discipleship journey is all about um, regaining that image mm -hmm. of God, right? It's to become like Jesus is why we follow him. Mm -hmm. And yet, and, and that sometimes involves, that journey does involve some pain mm -hmm. at times, but the pain itself is not the goal. And at times, I don't think this is the intent of the author, but at times the pain can almost be glorified. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, there, I, I see where that can be drawn from some of the writings of Paul, where he talks about, you know, um, for me, death is to gain, right? There, there is that imagery of, um, I see some good that comes out of pain, but that doesn't mean that pain itself, in itself, is good, mm. at least personally. Mm. That's that's profound. Yeah. Jesse, what are your thoughts on this whole idea? I think I think an important thing, well, let me, let me just back up. In my experience as a pastor, I've had many people who come, and come to me and talk about a, like a difficulty they're going through, a really uh, a crucible moment, or, or just suffering, just a long period of suffering. Mm. And not everybody, but a key few people will will often say something along the lines of, you know, but God knows what he's doing. Um, but they're not saying that so much in how this is going to, uh, I guess what they're really referring to is that like this suffering is for a purpose for some mm -hmm. specific reason. 
And I just think I take issue with that idea that suffering is for a purpose. Um, and, and I guess let me explain that because I don't think that suffering it can can uh, I think I think suffering can be without purpose, but can can have purpose that comes out of it. And what I mean by that is I, I think that there is no good reason that we that we suffer. If there was, there would be that would have been built into the mm -hmm. way that we were supposed to be living, right? Suffering enters after sin. It's 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 a result of a broken world. So I don't think that God built that into the way that we are. However, it does seem like God can take the brokenness of this world and the way we're experiencing it mm -hmm. and mold it and shape it into something that is good in our life. I guess, let me take that to even say it differently, can mold us and shape us into people who, mm. who, who learn and grow from those things. But I don't think, and I think it's a, it's a really a really important thing that we, we ought to say is that God um, is often, if not maybe even usually, not the res the 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 one doing this to us. Mm -hmm. um, there are certain cases in Scripture where it does seem like God is 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 allowed something to happen in someone's life, but it doesn't seem like God is doing this to us. But rather that God is working in the aftermath and through the whole thing um, mm -hmm. for our growth. So I, I, for me, those are some important distinctions because I think it helps with this feeling of like like God is doing this to me, mm -hmm. and it shifts it from that to the world and its brokenness are happening to me and yet God is still good in that. And so I think that's, yeah, that's an important distinction. Mm -hmm. to me. And, and I think both of you are pointing out at this pernicious thing that happens when we operate solely from that viewpoint. And that is, if God is doing this to me so that I may learn something, if I continue experiencing the suffering, isn't it then safe to assume that I haven't learned enough or there's still something else to learn. And that's really problematic. It's problematic because it seems much more in line with kind of this post-exilic second temple view of sin and salvation than what Jesus came to advocate for. Now, absolutely, suffering makes us uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I think we often have to find a way to explain it. Yeah. And so the big word for you all for this weekend is theodicy, T-H-E-O-D-I-C-Y, theodicy. And theodicy is nothing more than our human attempts to, to explain suffering. Mm -hmm. Now, amidst the many approaches to theodicy that, is, that have been written, uh, John Hick is, is probably one of the most well-known. And John Hick coins it as soul-making theodicy. And what Hick argues is that without pain and without suffering, there are some of the highest qualities that human beings ha that have that couldn't come to light. For example, without selfishness, you can't have selflessness. And so what Hick argues is that every single instance of crucible moments that we face, we face so that our soul may be developed. How do we feel about that? Yeah, yeah. I don't love that. <laughs> <laughs> so Jesse already said <laughs> off the bat, I don't love John Hick. Well, I, I think that where I would disagree is that um, what, what I see through Scripture is this God that though the world may try its hardest and maybe I should even take it away. I don't think I don't even know if there's some sort of sentient thing that is doing these things mm -hmm. to us. I mean, for instance, um, 
you know, is there a reason that someone, a, a young mother dies in a car accident and leaves children behind? Like, I don't think there's a something doing that to us, or I think it's a result of a broken world mm -hmm. that happens. Um, so in that case, I, we could we could argue that based on the argument that Hick is making, that the reason that her husband and children are going through this is so that they can become better people. Mm. And at that at that core argument is this idea of God that's like, yeah, sorry, I'm going to take what you love the most and just so that you can be better people. Mm. It's like that doesn't make sense on a lot of levels. But what does seem to be consistent throughout Scripture is that these things happen but God is not absent from them mm. and that his work through those things is refining, but those things are not happening so that we might be refined. I think it's an important thing to recognize too, that suffering is a piece of this world. It's something that is unavoidable. And when we try to avoid it, we end up just delaying and maybe even amplifying our suffering later on. Mm -hmm. yeah. Suffering will happen, but what is powerful is that or I guess what is what is almost the most damaging is when you suffer without purpose. Mm. So we do, I think, on the back end, look back and see there was stuff that was good that came through this. But I think it's important not to recognize this was not causal. Like mm -hmm. it was, this did not happen so the good could come. Mm. This happened, and yet God is good mm -hmm. and works through it. So yeah. that's just, yeah. Yeah, that's really powerful that it is not God's intention to cause us to suffer so that good will happen, yeah. but he does draw good from the suffering that is present in this broken world. If I could just say one more piece, which I find very powerful, is, isn't is that the biggest sort of slap in the face to evil and the devil and anything like that, mm. is that you can try your hardest and yet God will make something good out of it. <laughs> yeah. that, isn't that powerful? Like that's, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like Pac-Man. I remember playing Pac-Man. <laughs> Even though you go out here, you always end up here. Yeah. You just can never escape that maze. You're stuck forever yeah. in that endless maze is how Satan must sometimes yeah. feel. Like, yeah, no matter how, how many tricks he does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. That is so that is that is really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I struggle with this idea that um that sin and suffering were inevitable. And mm -hmm. we've talked about how there are some prominent theologians who advocate this mm -hmm. fact, right? C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity seems to hint at that, that man had to sin. At, at some point, sin had to enter this world for people and the universe to understand that sin was terrible, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And yet, that is not the message that I find in Scripture. It, sin is not an inevitable consequence that results in a better growth mm -hmm. it, sin sin is completely out of of mm. what god wanted and what god's mm -hmm. plan was and yet sin was present so god made the best of it is mm -hmm. what i think just yeah. what you're saying yeah, yeah um and if we if we take that approach that means the suffering we go through is not again not the point yeah. it's not the good thing that we're seeking mm -hmm. out um but if we go through suffering mm -hmm. we can know that we have a god who continues to make good out of it. Yeah. I think we have to be faithful, though, to the text. And that's why, Joey, where you started, I think, was so powerful. You said the truth is that language is present in Scripture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so Joseph, for example, is yeah. a perfect example of, I mean, if Hick won't want a case study <laughs> in soul-making theodicy, yeah. he would say, 
I would look at look at the story of Joseph. And yeah. Joseph even says, and we read this last quarter, what you have intended for evil, God has used for good. Yeah. And so you do have that language creep up in in scripture. What I find really interesting, and I wish the lesson would have done a little more uh, throughout this quarter in doing, is recognizing that soul-making theodicy, this idea of pain as gain, mm -hmm. is not the only approach to kind of wrestling with the problem of suffering that we have in the world. Uh, we have other things that Scripture points us to. So one of them, for example, is this idea of protest. Mm -hmm. We don't know what's happening, and you find yeah. this a lot in the Psalms particularly. We don't know why this is happening. We don't like it. We're gonna we're gonna call God onto the mat, yeah. and that I think is equally as valid as a uh, an approach to suffering yeah. as saying, "Hey, you know what? What you have intended for evil, world, God has used for good." Mm -hmm. So I I think what what starts to emerge from the picture of Scripture as I, as I think about these ideas of suffering isn't that there is one right way to deal with suffering, particularly mm -hmm. as a person of faith. Mm -hmm. It's more that God is big enough to allow whatever framework you need to get you through uh, the crucible as valid or valuable. Mm -hmm. yeah. And isn't there a difference between the different kinds of pains that we're talking about, right? Um, there is a pain that comes from when we exercise, right? When mm -hmm. we lift. Our muscles are torn. There is definitely soreness and pain. There's pain that comes from um, doing any kind of learning, right? When when we're learning Common Core math for the first time, <laughs> it is painful. It's a painful process to to try to rethink the way that we do math. There's pain that comes from these kinds of things, but that kind of pain is a little bit different than pain that comes from natural disasters, right? right? And pain that comes from um, an evil, uh, a per well, we're all evil, but a person intentionally hurting mm -hmm. another person mm -hmm. yeah. is a different kind of pain. So mm -hmm. I do think that there, that when we talk about pain and suffering, it also is important to kind of separate out the different kinds of pains mm -hmm. and the causes of our different kinds of mm -hmm. pains. And there are some pains that God does urge us to. He does sometimes push us into uncomfortable positions so that we can grow, right? Yeah. He calls us to be and become people that that we may not be comfortable being right now, but then he he urges us in that direction, just like I do with my kids. Sometimes I, like I just sent my daughters both off to camp mm. for the first time, and it was a painful experience for us, probably more than them, because they really enjoyed their time there. But, but there is from being away from your parents for the first time and being, you know, traveling and having to live with other kids. And that is a somewhat painful and uncomfortable position, but I do that so that they can mm. grow. So I do think there are times where God does do that. He does refine yeah. us in yeah. that way, <laughs> but that is completely different than the pain comes. Does God then put pers a person in the path? Does he kill off our parent so that we can grow? I yeah. That is a completely different right. approach. Right. So separating out those different right. pains, I think, is important. Right. And that's the pain I've seen like with during pastoring of someone who is coming with what is obviously very tragic. And um, uh, it's very difficult to place God in the causal element of that of that situation. 
Um, and, and yet they're, they're coming at it from a, you know, God's testing me. And I'm like, ah, that's a tough one. Mm. But there is, I, I like, I'm glad that you brought that out. There is the parental aspect of God's, hey, the world's broken. It's difficult. It's hard. And I'm going to push you out of your comfort zone. And there is pain involved with that. Mm-hmm. That is good and is a growing element. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. So, yeah. Yeah. And that, that I think forces us to recognize that there's also a difference in this idea of formation. So we're talking about these these moments that are potentially painful are in order for you to be formed mm. and forged into something. I find sometimes that Christians and we talked a little bit about this last Sabbath if you if you are a member here or if you watch our worship services we talked a little bit about the differences between holiness and purity Mm. and so sometimes we focus a lot on purity Mm. Uh, that's what we care about and there is a process to purity Uh, if you look at scripture the one thing that uh, emerges is that purity is going to require effort Mm -hmm. it's going to require some discomfort it's going to require time it's going to require a lot of other things and purity is important there's there's a role for that in scripture but god really places in the economy of salvation a higher premium on holiness Mm. and holiness is not something that requires effort holiness is something that is a Mm. grace given action uh, mediated by god so once Mm. you come in contact with god you then have this holiness imputed into you Mm -hmm. and so i think realizing that there's a difference between, hey, the kind of person that I'm called to be versus the kind of person that God has chosen me to be. I think to notice those differences also helps in realizing, okay, is this potential experience where everything is not completely pleasant? Is it formational? Or is this uh, this experience that is potentially harming? is it uh, crafting or forging an identity? And I think when we Mm. attach identity to suffering, that's when we start to get into theological spaces that are not the healthiest. Mm. Would it be fair to say, when you say holy and pure, like holy is, I guess at its basic level is being set apart, for Mm -hmm. set apart for a different purpose. Um, So uh, to be holy is is something that God lays out for us Mm -hmm. Uh, on his own volition it's it's i i have made you set apart i have chosen you called you like you are already that and then there is the purity aspect that we might even phrase in the way of like looking like jesus that mm-hmm. there's a a purity to what that would look like um and that the character formation is different than being set apart correct and the character formation piece of it again if we sort of if, if we're careful with with where is god in the cause of this circumstance that i'm in there is at least a healthy space of going into how is he using this? How is he calling me to this, to, to look at this or to act in this circumstance that will make me more like him mm. on the back end of this? Like, I mean, that, the whole book of Job seems to be Job wrestling with this idea of like, where is God? Who is God? I thought I was doing pretty great. Um, and then God comes in on the back end of the book of Job and just lays it out like you know you you, you really can't touch me <laughs> mm-hmm. like I I I he he almost seems to be saying I am God I can do whatever mm-hmm. I want, but yet at the same time there is this picture throughout Scripture and even in Job of this God who is very close and 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 with with us through our suffering, 
And so there's the duality of that God too. That, like he is calling us to something and he's part of that process as well. And it, so, so, and I think one of the ways that people can tend to look at this suffering is God is testing me. So it almost seems like God is far away looking mm. at you like, I hope that all, I hope you come out faithful on the back mm. end of that. And then what that becomes is oppressive to mm. us. When it's, if God is trying to shape us and mold us into his image, mm -hmm. then he is also God who we cannot touch, but also close and with us mm. through that process. And so there's this, I think, healthy, healthy tension with all of that. Um, that I think helps us navigate this with less mm. of a an oppressive like this hurts this this is an extra hurt that is not good for right. me in 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 the midst of hurt that is can actually help in the refining process. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, that view of God can be very damaging, especially yeah. when we're hurting, when people are hurting. To to say that well, God God did this to you so that yeah. you could grow is a very destructive yeah. view. I'm, I'm glad you brought up that element of Job where God does use that moment to expand Job's view of him, yeah. which to me is sort of a twist. The first time I read through Job, it's kind of a plot twist because yeah. we're the, we the readers know something that Job and his friends don't, right? It starts out with mm -hmm. this inside view into what's going on into heaven and what's actually causing this pain, right? Mm -hmm. It's not Job. It's not about Job's. Um, character is not about Job um, um, being a bad person or anything yeah. that his um, friends are saying about him. We know that all that all of them are wrong mm -hmm. and that Job is right, even yeah. though it looks like Job is wrong yeah. to them, yeah. right? We know that. And so but at the end of this whole process, I almost expect God to come out and say, well, you guys were all wrong. Job is right, right yeah. which he kind of does <laughs> later on. Yeah. But first, he takes that opportunity and uses that moment yeah. To expand Job's view of who he is, mm. yeah. right? Yeah, so, which which is a little bit of a plot twist to yeah. me because yeah. because you know I would I would see God coming down and go like Atta boy Job way to stay faithful <laughs> you know yeah. and instead he's like who are you to call me out right, right? yeah and yeah. he just completely expands Job's view of him and then he gives him the Atta boy yeah. and mm. then he gives him a blessing mm. and then he you know condemns his yeah. friends for what they did mm. and how they treated Job. He does that at the end, but yeah. he still uses that painful moment in Job's yeah. life to do something good. Mm -hmm. He's like, I'm not going to waste the, all the suffering that Satan put Job through. I'm not going to let that go to waste. Mm -hmm. I'm yeah. still going to use it to do some kind of good in Job's life. And yeah. I think that's, there's something powerful yeah. about that. Yeah. That I'm so glad that both of you touched on this because to me, Job is one of the most sophisticated works of mm -hmm. theology in the canon. Mm -hmm. I don't like everything I read in the book. I don't like the idea or the imagery of God kind of placing a divine wager on our lives. Yeah. But I do like uh, the, the nuance in the book. So if you grew up reading or hearing the story of Job, you read the first three chapters mm -hmm. and that was it. and then you jump to the end of the book where god says yay we're gonna replace everything you lost yeah. and that was double, it double double and so it almost makes it worth it because right. you got double on the you back lost yeah. right and, and that <laughs> but then there's that there's that weird space where it's like you lost your kid you can't replace your kid right. so is it really right. better yeah so, right yeah. well most scholars will tell you that that actually is a way later addition somebody came around and said there's something missing there's the there's a nice ending to the book missing so we're going to add yeah. that addendum mm -hmm. because that conclusion seems to fly in the face of what the book is actually trying to say which i think you you all pointed out so 
here's this experience. Job is suffering. And Job, the whole question that we think the book is about is, is Job going to curse? Is Job going to curse God? Mm -hmm. And the answer is, well, he doesn't curse God, but he curses everything else. (laughs) Yeah. Um, he actually, the pain that he is experiencing, now I want, I want us to linger over this idea in, in the book. The pain that he is experiencing is such that when he opens his mouth for his first speech, if you read that side by side with Genesis 1, it's Job setting creation in reverse. Mm-hmm. He is actually saying that the fabric of the world is so broken that he wishes that creation Uh, goes in reverse. If God's first act is to say, let there be light, Job is going to say, let there be darkness. That doesn't seem like John Hicks' soul-making theodicy. That seems like Job saying, I don't like this. It's not fair. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try. And this is, by the way, what the 38 chapters in between the beginning of the book and that nice conclusion are about. They're about Job's attempt at bringing a lawsuit mm-hmm. towards God, mm-hmm. right? At calling God to the to to the divine courtroom and saying, "Let's have it out. Let's yeah. hear the rationale for me suffering." Mm-hmm. And the friends stay silent in the first moments of just seeing the brokenness that is Job. Mm-hmm. They stay silent. But after Job makes this first speech, setting creation in reverse, cre- uh, cursing the created order, they have to speak. Mm-hmm. And what they do is they go back into their toolbox, their theological toolbox, because suffering makes them uncomfortable. Yeah. What is it about suffering that makes it so uncomfortable? I think suffering is one of those things that doesn't make sense. Mm. I think I think you feel it the most when when someone when someone passes, mm. because you just sit there and you're like, this just does not feel mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. we're supposed to experience mm-hmm. this, right? Mm-hmm. Many things in life you feel it. You're like, yeah, this is the way life ought to be. Mm-hmm. That's one of the greatest moments of this is how it ought not to be. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. If you even go into some of the there's almost seems to be a futility in suffering as well. What's the point? Mm-hmm. Why why in the world would if you look at um, some of the most brutal things that have ever occurred on this earth, um, when you look at genocides or, or famines and and things like that, you look into that and you just think, why? Mm-hmm. Like why? For what purpose? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that question in and of itself is probably the question that brings me back into a space of of running to God because I think that was God God's warning all along. Mm-hmm. It's like don't go down this road. Mm-hmm. Don't don't go down a road that opposes the way that I built you and the way that I built this world. Don't try and do it your own way because it will result in something painful. And when we got there we're like why does this happen? And he's like it's not supposed to. It's actually mm-hmm. supposed to happen and mm-hmm. function a completely different way. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why suffering makes us the most uncomfortable. To, I guess to answer your question. Yeah, I love that. That it violates our basic sense of rightness. Yeah. Right? That, that, that this is not how things ought to be. Yeah. Um, and our basic sense of fairness. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, <laughs> this person, we say that all, all the right. time. This person didn't deserve it. Yeah. How, how come this happened to them when they did nothing wrong, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That basic sense of fairness. And we tell ourselves, of course, life is not fair. Yeah. We, we say right. that all the time. 
But we still want life we to be fair. It. We feel it. We feel it deep down. Yes, yes, yes. Right? Yeah. So yeah, definitely there is that. And then of course, on a per, you know purely personal and selfish level, I don't know if that's selfish or not. Yeah, I don't want to be in pain. Right. I don't like yeah. being hurt. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not a comfortable thing. There's some. We're built that way to avoid that kinds of pain and hurt, and not to inflict that on other people. And then when it happens. Um, it, it, I mean, that's why it makes us uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I think that speaks to kind of how I feel discomfort. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm asking a bit more uh, about how Job's friends are feeling. Mm. Yeah. Because I understand what Joey and, and what Jesse, you are, all are saying, and I completely wholeheartedly agree. There is something again inside of us. I mean, you only have to be a pastor a very short time and be in constant contact with funerals to know mm-hmm. there's something in us that kind of yeah. intuitively says, this isn't how it's supposed to work. But I find that my suffering, while making me uncomfortable, mm-hmm. that in that moment, it demands to be felt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not asking rational questions, a rationalization mm-hmm. of what and how and why. That comes later. Mm-hmm. In the moment, I just need to feel it. Mm-hmm. What I find, though, is that my mm-hmm. suffering makes other, other people. people very nervous, yeah. communities of faith very nervous, friends and family members mm-hmm. become very nervous. And I'm wondering if that nervousness doesn't have to do with how random and illogical mm-hmm. suffering is. Because if it can happen to you and you yeah. have all your stuff together, then what guarantee, what guarantees mm-hmm. do I have? And to your point, Joey, I care about my self-preservation. Yeah. What guarantees do I have mm-hmm. that that experience that you're having isn't going to touch me in the future? And I think our theological attempts to find a rationale for mm-hmm. suffering stem from this deep discomfort mm-hmm. that if there is no rhyme or reason mm-hmm. to it, I am not exempt. Well, also there's the transactional element of what we have. Like there's that element, but also the transactional element of if I'm a good person, I ought to experience mm-hmm. less suffering. Mm-hmm. I get, we, none of us, I don't think any of us would say we should be completely exempt, but there's at least, if not a rational thing that we say, there's a sort of that childlike thing that comes out of us that goes, it's not fair that I did every, I, I have a, um, there's this lady that was in one of my churches that I pastored and she was so angry that she got cancer. Meanwhile, her sister who smoked packs of cigarettes Mm. per day did not. Mm -hmm. And she was deeply angry at Mm. God because that's not fair. That's not the way like A plus B should Mm. equal C. The whole formula blew up. Mm. That doesn't make any sense. And so I think that's why also suffering makes us uncomfortable when other people are going through it because we're like, there's got to be a reason. And then we try and come up with the reason for it. And often in some of the destructive ways that this come out is, uh, for instance, a long time ago, this uh, professor of mine, his, his daughter was killed. Um, she drowned in a river um, and it happened to be on Sabbath. And someone sent a message, sent a letter Oof. to him, just said oh, if she man. hadn't been swimming on Sabbath, it wouldn't have happened. Oh, man. And it's it's that is an extreme example that does not happen as often. But there's other things of 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 just trying to make it all okay 
because we don't like mm -hmm. to feel that space of, I can't solve it, I can't fix it, this shouldn't happen. It's all of the confusion that comes in and we wanna just, we wanna make it okay. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it comes out of a bad place. I just think it comes out of that feeling of like, I don't know what to do with this. Mm -hmm. I just really want it to end. I want it to end for you because um, now I'm feeling uncomfortable. You're suffering, but now I'm feeling comfortable. <laughs> I just want all of this to end, yeah. you know? So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's something within us that craves that kind of resolution, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, if you've ever, you know, been playing a piano or playing an instrument and then you you hit like a sustained note that kind of goes up and you're just waiting for it to resolve yeah. and it never does. It's just like, oh, it's painful, right? Yeah, like even yeah. in music, you want like, where's that last note? Give me the last note. And sometimes yeah. with certain praise songs and things, yeah. it just ends in that sustained yeah, note and it's there. just left hanging. You right. literally yeah. feel like you're hanging. Yeah. There is something within us that that desires that resolution because then everything is tied in a neat little bow and our mm. worldview of how the world should work remains intact. If we can ex if we can fix the problem, if we can explain it away, then things are okay. And we don't have to look at the deeper issues and, and be challenged in, in the way that we see the world, which mm -hmm. is very, very painful. Yeah. I think the other aspect of why I personally get uncomfortable when I'm around other people's pain is I don't want to make it worse. Right. Mm. Yeah. And I'm afraid yeah. I'm going to say something that makes it worse. Mm. So I don't know what to say because I, I just want to avoid yeah. adding to the pain. Right. Yeah. Um, and so there there definitely is that fear too. that uncomfortable. I mean, I don't I don't know if Joe's friends felt that kind of fear because they, they seem to have no problem. They, yeah, adding to it. <laughs> right? So yeah. I don't know if that was what their struggle. But for me, that yeah. that is a mm. is a struggle that I face. I just don't want to make another person's experience worse. Yeah. 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 So we we then go to our toolbox of theological answers, our mm. ready made answers and what job's friends do is they go to their retribution theology toolbox mm. kind of jesse you were talking about if i do a and b i should get c yeah. and job speaks uh the lesson talks about the 23rd verse and it it looks at first uh, the 23rd chapter it looks at the 10th verse which reads but he knows speaking about god the way that i take when he has tested me i will come forth as gold mm. The problem with just focusing on that verse yeah. is that it leaves out a lot of kind of the nuance that Job is trying to interject. Mm -hmm. So I kind of want to push us to uh, verse two here. It says, even today, my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy in spite of my groaning. If I only knew where to find him, if I only could go to his dwelling, I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with argument. I would find out what he would answer and consider what he would say to me. Why does he, would he vigorous, vigorously oppose me? It almost seems like for Job, the pain isn't just the suffering. Mm -hmm. That's painful. The pain seems to be God's silence. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is why yes. I think this text, this book is so nuanced. Because, yes, Job loses a lot. Mm -hmm. But I think for Job, what is most difficult to deal with is what, it, what appears to be God's silence. Mm -hmm. We all talk about providence, right? Mm -hmm. We talk about God being in control. We talk about this world being our father's world. Mm -hmm. 
And the experience of pain and suffering seems sometimes to fly in the face of that and make God silent. And that, I think, is is a really difficult uh, place to to exist when it seems like God has has gone silent. How do we hear God amidst Mm -hmm. the suffering? I think that Job is doing the first step. Mm -hmm. Um, That's one of the reasons I love the book of Job is because he is not afraid to argue and to to be angry and to be confused and frustrated. And I think that's one of the first parts Mm -hmm. of this. Again, because, Mm -hmm. again, again, if, if we're not saying necessarily, sometimes maybe, but depending on the situation, if we're not saying that God necessarily causes the suffering that we experience, um, and yet God is working within it. I think one of the first places that suffering brings us to is it brings us to a place of questioning who is God actually, mm. because we're we're forced into this place of I thought God was this way, and I thought He would deal with this sort of situation in this way. I thought if I prayed, then He would come through and stop the suffering that I'm experiencing. Mm. So the first thing that comes into question is who is God? I thought He was this way; He's not that way. And so it seems like Job is just verbally processing that aspect. Like, if this was, this is who I thought you were. Mm. Now it feels like you're not around. If you were here, then you would do this, I think. But you're not here. And I can't. I don't know where you are. And it seems like I can't even touch you. And so mm. it seems like you're far away. And he's just verbally processing through mm. all of the emotions he's feeling. And what's funny is that it's after all of this that then God steps into his space and and humbles him first and mm-hmm. says, don't forget that I am who I am. Mm-hmm. And then second speaks to him in sort of this place of compassion. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I, that that is just my, my attempt to say, I think the first step of hearing God is to be very bluntly and blunt and honest with him. Mm-hmm. But we're actually feeling, as opposed to what we think we should say, which is one of those things. No, I know this is a test. I got to come out faithful or God's working all things out to my good. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, God may be working all things out to your good. That doesn't mean that this thing that you're going through is in and of of itself good. And you're wondering, where is God in this? Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, maybe you trust that the end is good, but who is God Mm -hmm. in it? And how is he going to make it good? Those are all questions we should be blunt and honest about. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, that's so powerful. And we see that pattern emerge in the laments and Psalms, right? Yeah. The, the book of Psalms are filled with people pouring out their laments and their arguments. At God, at, like, God, why are you doing this to me? Why yeah. do you let my enemies chase me and pursue me and, and punish me? So you you see that, that, that raw honesty. And like you said, Miguel, yeah, one of the hardest parts of suffering is not understanding why. Yeah. And God feeling like he's silent mm-hmm. in the midst of it. It reminds me of that book um, by Shush- Shushikaku Endo. He's a um, Japanese Christian um, called Silence. And he writes about a period oh, of, yeah. of uh, Christendom, uh, Christianity in Japan when Japan was really cracking down on mm-hmm. Westerners and closing down their borders and trying to get these, these Japanese Christians to recount and just the punishment and the suffering mm-hmm. and the torture they would put yeah. them through. And um, it's just from the viewpoint of a, of a missionary, um, a monk who is wondering, God, why are you silent mm-hmm. in the midst of all this suffering? But it is really the, the heartbreaking question. And that book 
is was painful for me to read because there was no resolution at you yeah. know there was no resolution at the end of that book it's a book that ends with the question being open-ended because a lot of our suffering is yeah. open-ended we don't always know at the end of our suffering mm. why that suffering happened mm. sometimes we can pick out good but we can we don't always understand it and it's that makes it so painful and really being honest i think there is something cathartic about that. Mm -hmm. And God even does encourage us mm -hmm. to do that with him, to be honest with him, to, to actually yeah. be honest about our pains to him. Um, I mean, at the end of it, he does say, just like the lesson pointed out, verse 10, but he knows the ways that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Mm -hmm. So there is a confidence in who God is at the end, right? Like even though God, you don't feel present and you, um, I don't understand why you're allowing this to happen to me. I do know that at the end of this, there will be gold, that I will be formed in gold. But he's also confident, not just in God, which is interesting. He says in verse 11, my feet have closely followed his steps. I have kept to his way without turning aside. So he's not just confident in God, that God will come through. He's also confident that he is following the path that God is leading him to, despite Whatever his friends say about him, he's saying, I, I know that I'm clinging to you, God. So I'm going to keep staying on this path because I know it's the true one, um, despite the pain that I'm mm. going through. Yeah. The lesson, I think, conveniently leaves out how that chapter ends. <laughs> um, so I just want to write read it for you. Um, it says, but he stands alone and who can oppose him? Mm -hmm. Remember, this is all in the context of Job trying to sue God. Mm -hmm. He does whatever he pleases. He carries out his decree against me and many such plans he still has in stores. That is why I am terrified before mm -hmm. him. When I think of all of this, I fear him. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me. Yet I am not silenced by the darkness, by the thick darkness that covers my face. Mm. This is Job saying, no. <laughs> I'm going to protest. I'm yeah. going to protest. And I am going to cry out. And I think what you, we both are, what you both have said so beautifully is that there is a place for protest in our pain. Mm -hmm. We don't have to be like John Hick and trying to f try to figure out the good in every bad situation that happens. Mm -hmm. We can protest. Mm -hmm. And I think Jesus ought to be our example. What is my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm -hmm. If not a hymn of protest mm -hmm. against uh, the unmitigated pain that some people experience. The book doesn't have a resolution, though, as Joey, you mentioned. Um, it ends with Job saying, look, I'm going to try to sue you, but ultimately you're more powerful than I am and you're going to silence me. And that's exactly what God does in the end. He says, where were you? And I used that used to bother me a lot until I thought what, about what God was actually trying to say. When God forces Job to look at this from a broader cosmology, right, from kind of how the world itself operates, what he's actually saying is, Job, your world is in chaos and crisis. Mm -hmm. Suffering has thrown your world into chaos and crisis. But chaos and crisis in your world does not mean that chaos and crisis are universal. Mm -hmm. And that's not a resolution. Mm -hmm. It is simply an affirmation of who God is. Mm -hmm. In all of this, though, 
Job speaks rightly about God. Mm-hmm. So maybe, and I'd, I'd love as we as we start thinking about concluding our conversation together, there's so much more that could be said. Maybe to look at God as a goldsmith that is putting us through fire in order to refine me is perhaps not the healthiest way. I was thinking as I was reading this lesson about another place where, you know, the language of gold being refined through fire is found, which is in Revelation chapter 3. In that passage, God invites the church to buy from him gold that is refined in fire. Mm. It's not that God is going to place a fire in a system by which we are refined. It is that we go to God in order to purchase this refined gold. So perhaps God is more like a divine artisan that is both fire and the gold that has been refined through the fire. Um, And so maybe a healthier way of looking at how suffering impacts our life is to say the first step is protest and then protest is followed Mm. by praise. I think just from personal experience that one of the, the, the things I look at my life and my childhood growing up is, um, you know, my my for, for various reasons, my parents divorced and my, my dad was in prison for a while. And those things I look back and recognize those things were not, um, you know, God did not create those mm-hmm. things. One of the powerful things, though, is that um, maybe this is a slight deviation from what you were just saying about God being the fire. But I almost look at those those times were fire. They, they just were. Mm-hmm. The thing is, is that fire fire without any sort of creator through that process Mm -hmm. is just it can it can sort of like burn off all the impurities and everything like that but you need somebody who's going to scoop off the impurities Mm -hmm. out of the metal Mm -hmm. um in a in in the in the amalgamation process and uh and scoop out and then and then form it and shape it into something that is good Mm -hmm. and useful so that's kind of what i look if god is the refiner maybe the fire is not so much the stuff that he is causing but rather, if, if we are going through that, he is the good the good recreator mm-hmm. of everything that we mm-hmm. are. And then there is the benefit of when we go through suffering, sometimes our, our poor views of God get mm-hmm. burned off. Mm-hmm. Maybe God didn't put us through it. Maybe he did, but maybe he didn't. But those that is a side effect and a good side effect. Man, now I recognize I had that sort of transactional element of looking at God. Maybe it's not that. Mm-hmm. And then God is able to reshape that and reform that into something a lot healthier. And so that that has been my personal experience mm-hmm. of God being said. the refiner in that all of that. Powerfully said. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Jesse, because I think that's so true. We need the refiner mm-hmm. in order to make our, the experience of pain mm-hmm. meaningful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So here's i think where to look at the issue of suffering in on this campus is helpful uh richard rice gives us the third i think and at least for my uh my money the best way of understanding suffering um richard is a process rick is a process theologian um and we won't go into explaining that because we'd have to be in here another two hours <laughs> but in, in a nutshell, what, what he says, and I find that compelling, is that God's act of love and God's nature has driven him to limit 
himself. And God's limiting himself provides us with this world, which is at present the best world that we could have. And so when we talk about kind of how God functions within this, God is saying, I understand that there is suffering. And sometimes, as, as you both said, suffering can be very positive. But it, what's, what's most powerful about the experience of suffering ultimately is that God knows what that feels like. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, there, the power of the Christian witness as an incarnational religion is that we pray to a God that understands complaints, mm -hmm. that understands how meaningless it is sometimes, and that hasn't been left exempt from suffering. Mm -hmm. So when, So maybe we don't need to find a reason or a rationale for it. Maybe we can just, maybe it's as simple as simply as praying and saying, you know what I'm going through, God. Mm -hmm. Amen. Yeah. 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 That's being, a powerful thought. Yeah. So being honest with him about what we're going through, and but still remaining confident that he is a God who cares about us, who understands what we're going through, and will lead us through because he has so many times before. Mm. Yeah. Well, Joey, that's, I think, a great way for us to close. So can you pray for us? Yes, let's pray. Our good and gracious God, we say that a lot, but it's not just words when we say you're good and gracious. It's a lifeline for us mm. because there's times when this world is not good and is not gracious, where things happen to us that are so painful. I know that there are people who are viewing this right now who are going through some very painful crucibles. So in that, the midst of that, those painful and even evil crucibles, mm. we ask that you continue to be their lifeline, that you allow them to vent out their emotions and their pain to you, to take it all in like you did with, uh, with Job, but then also give them the hope that you will continue to stand by them, that you been through this and you know the way out of it so stand with them comfort them and strengthen them is our prayer in jesus name amen. amen and to you who are in or on the ash heap covered in sackcloth experiencing pain we're sorry we don't have any answers all we have is our presence so know that we are sitting there in silence with you because pain demands to be felt. May God bless you, and we'll talk to you next week.